0: Just finishing Ruth here, uh, as, as we did over December, we're going to, in January, as we begin, begin this new year, we're going we're gonna to do a, a brief four-week little mini-series here, uh, based out of Acts 2.42, um, with some accompanying, accompanying uh, scriptures as well. But let's, let's pray, though, as we, we, we begin to, to come to this time of hearing God speak to us. Let's pray for the Spirit of God to be present with us in this time. Lord God you know who we are and your word addresses us in the ways that we need to be addressed. You have in your word you have words of words of law but you also have words of gospel. You have words of comfort. You have words of mercy. We need to hear all of these words, all of those, and so open our ears then in this time and our hearts to understanding what you have for us here. Shape us by this word, God. Form us, for it is your will. We need, we need to be able to hear, we need to be able to receive the, the seeds of, of your word here and have them watered by the Spirit, so we ask them that they would go forth with power pray that you would uphold and the strength of the the one preaching here as well in this time may we see Jesus more clearly and more believable than we did when we first came this morning we pray this in his name amen well you are formed by your everyday habits and your practices the rituals of your day and of your week they are the liturgies of your life they are the repeated practice which form how you live, regardless of how aware you are of them or how deliberate you approach them. I mean think of the words that you read, the stories that you read, the habits of your day, what you, devo- what you devote parts of your days and your weeks to all of these are the formative practices of your lives. And the same goes for the church. The church also has formative practices. A church isn't formed apart from the practices that it is devoted towards. They represent the commitments of a particular church. And so what sort of church ought we to be then? What do we want to look like? Well, who can argue that they don't want their congregation to look like the early church in Acts? It is a model church from its very earliest beginnings there. We see a thriving church. We see, see a flourishing church in Acts. We see it being fruitful. We see it being explosive in all sorts of different ways. Not only numerically, but explosive in the bravery and the, 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 the outward love of, of, of individuals for, for Jesus and for others. It's a thriving church. It's a missional church. It's a church that's full of this explosive growth. Even actually, the very first day at Pentecost, it concluded with three thousand conversions. You see that in, in Acts two forty one, just the verse ahead of what we are behind, before uh, what we're, we're we're getting to this morning. Three thousand conversions on the first day, and it continues to grow at a breakneck speed. In numbers it grew. It grew in geographic distance as it spread very quickly across the the empire. It it grew and was explosive in the effect that it had upon the lives of people and and throughout the empire. An extremely effective church with a mission. And so how did it become that sort of church that we read about? Well, let's look about what formed them. What formed this, this church and let's think, about, let's think carefully then about what forms us also and then how we can be faithful to those formative practices. And so a church like that, its explosive missional church, what do we expect that sort of church to be devoted to? What formed its, what formed its ethos? Was it an entrepreneurial spirit? Uh, Was it uh, being attractional, deliberately attractional? Was it that they were, their their emphasis on service or justice? Well, this is what we read. Acts 2.42, after Pentecost, seemingly in the immediate days following, this is what we have. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. That's it. That's it right there. And we might think, like, really? That's the the model for a dynamic, radical, missional church? What's what formed the early church? That's what they were devoted to. They were devoted to the teaching of the the apostles, to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and to the prayers. I want to note a few particulars, or a few general ideas about all this. And first is that they were very particular acts. Right, it's all say the, right? There is the, the uh, apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking, and I would actually say, we'll look at this in two weeks, the breaking of the bread. Uh, it's not translated there, but it should be the breaking of the bread. And the prayers. There's getting at something specific in all of these. It's not just a generality. There's a specific there, and it's the defining practices which shaped their identity. And part of that was because it was Communal. It was all partaken in together. And that's another important aspect that we see from this. It's all communal. It's the church gathered together. The church assembled. The church together was devoted to these practices. Together, as they were engaging in them communally with one another, it was the purpose of why they came together for all of these things. And once we we begin to, to scratch a little beneath the surface, we also see that these are all the means of the Spirit's working. The church was a spiritual community. The church is a spiritual community. That's a capital S spiritual. Because it's gathered and formed by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit working in these ways and through these means that we see here. The Spirit at work through the word, through the teaching. The Spirit formed the basis of the fellowship which they shared with one another. The Spirit was working through the the breaking of the bread, the sacramental bread. The Spirit was at work in prayer. See, these are the, 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 the practices which formed the church in Acts, a missional church. It's what rooted them in Christ. It's what built them up to actually go and to be able to extend Christ to others. It gathered them together into a community of radical fellowship. And it was the power which was the true wind to carry the, or in their sails to carry them off in ministry. And so we're going to be looking at the, over the next four weeks here at these specific practices which the early church devoted themselves to. And we're going to, looking, we're going to be looking at it in this communal, formative context. What does a church that is formed by each of these look like? We're going to base each one here off of a, a relevant passage to further explain what this is. And so the first week here, we're going to look at that they were devoted, they were formed by the, the, the apostles' teaching. And to help us understand a little bit more about that, we're going to look especially here at Colossians 1, 24-29. This is God's word. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. That we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Amen. As we begin to think a little more concretely about what this is, about this the what it means for a church to be formed by the apostle's teaching, I want us to frame this whole thing in three questions. And the first question is what is it? What is the apostle's teaching? It's just simply this, it's preaching Christ. It's preaching Christ. Now it involves teaching from the scriptures. The apostles' ministries were were founded upon God's word. They're teaching and they're preaching. That's what they were announcing, God's word. It was all from the scriptures. For them it was the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, the writings, and them expounding upon that. The ministry of these apostles was a word centered ministry. They taught, uh, they taught from the word, they, they, they ap- applied the word. Scriptures were the basis for the content of their message. I mean, look at, at If you look at through all of the, the New Testament epistles and also in, at the, the examples of the sermons from Acts, they all draw from the Old Testament, which was the scriptures that they had. It's it's a consistent message that they are continuing to pass along from the old to the new, except there's one difference, though. What is it that set apart the apostles' teaching from other teaching? There was something different from their teaching to, let's say, a teaching of a rabbi, or even just simply from the scriptures being read without any explanation. It's this, the apostles' teaching was of the scriptures and of God's overall story of redemption through Christ. It's God's work, this side of Jesus, all of it seen, the whole story in light of his person and work. After all, the apostles bore witness to Jesus in the flesh. They bore witness to him in his his crucifixion. They bore witness to him in his resurrection And so what this is, is looking at the whole Old Testament, all the Old Testament scriptures, the Old Testament story, and seeing it being properly fulfilled in Jesus. In fact, to teach the Old Testament without Christ, without Jesus, is only to go halfway. You're missing the the climax of the story. It's like reading a story halfway through, and then putting the book aside, and never coming back to it again, and then even worse, trying to talk about the, the, the book in a book club, even though you don't know the whole rest of the story. The apostles' teaching was following a certain apostolic pattern, we could say. An apostolic pattern of interpretation, of looking at the old through the lens of the new. To paraphrase the church, Father Augustine, what was in the Old Testament concealed is in the New Testament revealed. It's the pattern of Jesus. Even as we heard this morning, from the, the New Testament reading in Luke 24, you have, you have along the, the, the road to Emmaus and Jesus is beginning to open the word up to, to them. They don't recognize him. But he's saying, shouldn't you have known from the scriptures? And he begins to open up the law and the prophets, all the Old Testament and showing that, it fulfilled, that it's fulfilled in him. And then at the end, I love it, it says, did not our hearts burn as he opened up the word to us? Later in Acts, in Acts 18, you have Apollos, uh, a man teaching there. He's teaching the, the Old Testament correctly in the, the synagogue. But there's one thing, he didn't know Jesus had come. He's teaching it correctly, not knowing still so that Jesus had come. But a Priscilla and Aquila, two of these, these characters that, that went with Paul that, we can be, that we're familiar with, they tell him, no, let's tell you about actually Jesus has come. And they explain, it says, the, the word of God more accurately and then he begins to teach then in a pow- or with a power unlike before in his teaching. It's, see, when there is Christ at the center of the story of God's redemption. There's power to it. That's the power in proclamation. That's the power in this sort of teaching. And when we come to Colossians 1 here, it's the mystery of Christ revealed. It's what Paul was sent to do. Paul was called to, as an apostle to make To make the word of God fully known. In other words, to reveal the mystery of Christ which has been hidden throughout the ages, throughout the Old Testament. Not that the Old Testament wasn't and isn't uh, insufficient for, for true knowledge and faith, but the fullest understanding was hidden inside it. Made fully known in the person and work of Jesus Christ. See, the early church's devotion to this Christ-centered, apostolic teaching was a devotion to preaching. It was having Christ preached, having Christ proclaimed to them from the Scriptures as they were gathered together. They came together as the church body to hear the word from the apostles. And the apostles' teaching was, was not a lecture. It was not school. It was preaching. It was proclamation. It was saying, Thus says the Lord from the Scriptures, announcing the victory and the redemption of Jesus Christ in real time space history for the world and for people who live in real time space history, like you and I. It is interpreting the Scriptures in light of Jesus and then applying those Scriptures to them. They were given, they were giving them Jesus through His Word. See, Peter on Pentecost wasn't lecturing his hearers for 3,000 people to to then come come and, and be converted. He was proclaiming Christ from the Old Testament, the Christ that they crucified and was bringing conviction by revealing their sins. And then when they were properly broken and they were, because after all, they were grievous sins, it was the murder of the Son of God, he then announced grace and forgiveness by faith and repentance in that Jesus who they sent to the cross. See, what they were speaking wasn't new. It was all that God had promised. But what was new was the promise now coming to light. It's the mystery hidden, now revealed in Christ. To know God and his purposes more fully. It's the full revelation of God the Father in his Son, Jesus. It's making known his redemptive purposes of renewal for the broken, of life for the lost. And that's where the power of preaching comes from. It comes from Christ who came to bring in the lost. And so proclaiming Christ goes beyond just giving commandments for right living. Even if they are oriented around God's purposes. Proclaiming Christ gives Christ. That's where power and life is. See, just preaching bare commands and law on its own doesn't give life, does it? What's it do? It actually crushes us. Because we begin to see how much of failures we really are. But when we proclaim Christ, that gives life. I say, this is what you must do for life? No, no, this is what Christ Jesus has done for life. This is who God is in his son. He is the one who welcomes home the lost. He is the one who receives them into his arms by Jesus who sought them out, who lived for them, who died and rose again for sinners. That is life. That is a sort of preaching and proclamation that sets hearts on fire because that is the power of God right there. It's the mystery in, in Colossians 1.27. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Glory that comes through a Christ who suffered. And through his suffering comes glory. But it's a glory that's cruciform. It's a glory that, that, where, that takes its way through the cross. But see in that though, there is also the hope of being complete in Christ. And so the second question to think about then, what's the goal? What's the goal of it? It's to present everyone complete in Christ. Jesus is the way to life. He is proclaimed, he's given, he is the new birth, he is life. But the means of birth are also the means of growing into maturity. Those words from 128, him we proclaim. Why? So that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Christ proclaimed isn't something that we outgrow. We receive him to grow into him and to grow into conformity with him. He's the power of growth and he's also the image that we grow into to be presented mature in Christ. Mature. Ideas of being complete, of being a fully formed believer, of being complete, which encompasses the whole person, not just in our faith that we have, but in the way that we think in where our affections are oriented, in the subsequent actions which come from that, in the will that motivates it all. How do I grow into a more mature and a more complete believer? It's through Christ given, through Christ proclaimed to you. He's the vine, we're the branches. We draw our life in union with him And it's not merely for life and growth. He's the one that we actually grow into conformity into. And that's just as important, right? It's the power and the conformity are just as important together here. Because after all, if you think, an unhealthy tree isn't just a tree that has issues that are finding life and nourishment down by the roots. You can have a tree with these deep roots that is shooting up at an immense place, that is growing big and strong, but though that tree, if it also grows unchecked and without any conformity to the way that it should be growing, is also an unhealthy tree. We had a cedar, this big, beautiful, healthy cedar in our backyard that we had to take down this, this fall, about a 50-foot cedar. Not because it wasn't a healthy tree or anything like that. It was a flourishing tree. It was lovely. It cast an incredible shade underneath its branches. But unfortunately, it was not growing into proper conformity. It was growing at an angle that was leaned right at our house. A tree like that needs to be taken care of. It's often assumed that Jesus is the way into life. But, after, but then afterwards, we grow and we develop by some other means. But that's not the case at all. He is proclaimed, he is received into life and then into full maturity. And that's why apostolic preaching here, it's why the early church there had him at the center, even for growth and for sanctification, for our growth in holiness. That comes through being united to Jesus. It comes through receiving and hearing him. There is something mysterious and wonderful and unseen that that is at work in the moments when Christ is preached. The Spirit of God is at work through the Word. The Spirit of Christ is at work through the Word of Christ here. And that is a Spirit that changes us. The Spirit is is one of renewal and recreation. and, And not just in some nebulous form, but to bring us into order, proper order. At the very beginning in Genesis 1, you have the Spirit that is present at creation as the Word of God was spoken. To then bring order from all of the, the, the unseen void and the darkness and the chaos. The spirit is present as the word of God is announced to bring order from the disorder of our lives. Christ the word is given. Christ the word is applied by that spirit. See, growth and holiness And growth in right living must come through Jesus. That's what it means to be gospel-centered, Christ-centered people our whole lives. So often we default into law as being the foundation for our change and for growth. And frankly, it's too easy for us to assume. And it's too easy to preach also. Do this and you'll live. Just obey God, just obey Jesus, just do what he says, and that's all there is. There's no life there, though. It just gives the standard for what God wants, and that's it. And again, it looks only halfway at God's story. It looks at the commandments, but without the good news and our failures. It really assumes us all to be like little Adams, that we are untainted and that we are unfallen and we can go do Please God on our own. But the thing is, though, if your diet consists primarily of law, then you'll find yourself in either one of two things. You'll either find yourself in legalism, saying, I can do this. Of course I can do it. And then pride in your actions and pride over those who you look at and say, they can't do it. So you either have legalism and pride or on the the other side, you're going to have fear. This thing is hopeless. This Christian life is hopeless. Why don't I just give up? Friends, that's a, more, a bigger reality than some of us might think. I can recall back in a day at a church that I was at and someone where someone in, in, in the church just, it was not infrequent that they would leave and they would come back in afterwards and talking with them. The reason why is because they just said, I just realized how much of a failure I am. And the reason why is because there was little Christ that was actually preached on an everyday basis there. See, neither of, which, neither of these is proper for the Christian life. It's neither legalism and pride nor fear. That's not what God wants. And just because Jesus is talked about doesn't mean that Jesus is actually proclaimed. The proclamation is his person and work. It's not a yoke of burden. But where Jesus' person and work is proclaimed, there is life And there is growth. Jesus is given through the Spirit in union with him to be formed into his image and formed into his life. And if there's no Christ present, then there's no life. This is why a church devoted to the apostles' teaching becomes a church that is missional like we see in Acts. Because it knows that Jesus came to save sinners. As we grow into his image then, that his purpose, his desire, forms us. It becomes our desire also. It gets within us because Christ is in us and Christ does his work in us. And it becomes the centrality of our message. Jesus Christ for sinners. We serve because Jesus served. We extend mercy because we have received such mercy. The power for that doesn't come through law. The power for that comes through Christ in you. So third, how do we receive it? How do we receive this word? we we'll to look at five brief applications. First is we, we receive it communally. The church in Acts 2.42 was devoted to this together. Not just as individuals united by their common devotion, but coming together to hear the apostles preach that's consistent with the rest of the, of the New Testament. The epistles were read and they were, they were always, it was always done among the church gathered. In fact, even the ones that were addressed to individuals like Philemon and Titus and First and Second Timothy were actually to be read to everyone in the church gathering. It's consistent with the Old Testament. God's addresses to his people was always in the assembly of them gathered together. See, devotion to apostolic teaching goes beyond our own private disciplines of the word. Even if we read that word through the lens of Christ, this is talking about the church as a whole, the gathered, the assembled church. Scripture is consistent with the primacy of God's word in the assembly. And being a church that is devoted to this means being devoted to gathering together to worship through preaching as a means of grace. Grace. It's how the church as a whole is formed. Individual devotions only hit at the individual person. But besides this, though, we also need outside voices to address us in ways that we would be hesitant to go. We all have parts of our lives and our hearts that need exposed. And we're for Christ to be given and put in those places too. Why not use Sundays to read the Bible on my own? Why not use Sundays to listen the podcast of better preachers than this guy because the word of God is given for the body of Christ. And his word isn't supposed to make us comfortable. The goal is to to be brought into completeness in him and we need an outside voice to point us in places where we'd otherwise be uncomfortable to go. Second, is we receive it Carefully. These are, after all, moments where God addresses us. He addresses his people communally. Hearing is expected because God is the one who's speaking through his word. And so we ought to receive it with the, with the care that it deserves. Right? The means of Christ proclaimed and given for your life and growth. And admittedly, it's not easy to listen. Right? Kids, you are having to grow up into being listeners, right? Being listeners to the sermon, You know what? The same is true of adults. We're all on different parts on that learning curve of 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 having to be trained to listen, right? We're not always accustomed to being people who listen. And we all come with our own distractions and things like that. No matter what age you are, it takes time. It takes training. And thank God for His Spirit that does work through these times when, when Christ is proclaimed, even if we're having a hard time listening or being distracted by whatever it is. You may not get everything and that's okay. But what are you doing with the things that you do receive? This is a reminder. We have tools that are that to help you kids train you into listening and to be and training you into being better listeners of the word of God that we have out there to help you follow along, to write down certain notes because and to follow along interactively because it's important. Because this is where we hear Christ. And who doesn't want that? Third, because of this, is we receive it prayerfully. That's part of receiving it with care, right? It's seeing it as worthy of praying about and praying for. After all, this is the power of God at work. Why would we not pray? We should be praying as we prepare to come to worship that you would receive it well and be changed by it. Pray that God would use it to change others and God would use it to grow his church, not just in conversions, but in maturity and in faith of its people too. Fourth, expectantly, right? We ought to expect things to happen when Christ is proclaimed. We're dealing with the divine power of God. When he is preached, there is the spirit and where the spirit is, there is life and renewal. And even in a church like ours here, we ought to expect things to happen. The same goes for within ourselves. We ought to expect to be changed. For us to be addressed, to hear the promises and Christ given to us, to grow in maturity, we ought to expect that. And that generally happens over time. But we also remember who's present with us in these times when Christ is proclaimed. The great preacher... Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his famous book, Preaching and Preachers, writes this. Do you expect anything to happen when you get up to preach in a pulpit? Are you expecting it to be the turning point in someone's life? Are you expecting anyone to have a climactic experience? That is what preaching is meant to do. That is what you find in the Bible and in the subsequent history of the church. Now, those words are obviously meant for preachers. He's addressing preachers through that passage but we can actually take that and flip it around for us on the receiving end do you expect anything to happen when you come to hear the word preached do you expect this to be a moment of change in your life fifth we receive it joyfully because we hear and we receive the Jesus who came for sinners like us Because this is Jesus who is being formed in the hearts and lives of his people. And if Jesus is your highest joy, as he demands to be, as he deserves to be, then approach his word with joy. Listen to him with with a joyful conviction and love, expecting to be changed into his image to have Christ in you, the hope of glory. Why Why the focus on hearing and receiving Christ? For a thriving, vibrant, missional church like Acts. Because we need him ourselves. We need him every day. We need him every hour. We need him every moment. We need his grace and mercy for sinners. We need him to restore us from our sin and back into communion with the Father. And it's not just us. Others need him too. They need to come in contact with the same Christ and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? This is a means by which he forms us into his likeness, to be presented complete and mature in him. And the greater and more the greater and more that we become like him, the greater and more we will lovingly follow him in his mission of redemption. Let's pray. Father, even though we are people who on our own are lost, we thank you for the word that you have given us. Not just to guide us into life, but also to give us life. To give us Jesus. Would we never, would we never stray from him? And will we, would you continue to use this word of Christ then, and by the power of your spirit, to build us up into a church that looks like you and reflects your heart. A church that is holy. A church that is loving. A church that cares for the lost. Grow us into this image, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.